Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Paul was a giant spiritually. Without a doubt, he is one of the greatest Christians in history. Paul walked close to Jesus Christ. Paul was soaked in the Word of God. No one knew the Bible better than Paul. And yet when he writes the last letter that he ever writes, and the last chapter, he's discouraged and he's lonely. This giant spiritually is battling discouragement and loneliness. He's in Nero's prison. He knows that he's going to die. He's going to be executed. And most likely the charge that had been, he'd been convicted of was atheism. We know from the early Roman historians, Pliny and Tacitus and other uh, Roman historians, that the early Christians were accused of atheism because they would not worship the Roman gods and they would not worship Caesar as Lord. There was Caesar worship and they would not participate in it. In the first century, Caesar was proclaimed as God, as Lord. He was of this earth, the Roman Empire. But Paul preached Jesus Christ as the only Lord. He would never worship Caesar. That was atheism. And it was also sedition, the undermining of the authority of Caesar. Paul knows that he's going to die. But that's not what discourages Paul. Remember early on in this series, we learned that Paul, 25, 30 years ago, had been taken by Jesus to the third level of heaven. He had experienced heaven directly and then brought back to earth to encourage him as he faced death again and again. The Lord knew the kinds of uh, persecutions that he would face and that he would nearly die many times. Where did he get the courage that he had? Because he was not afraid of death. He knew where he was going to spend eternity. It is not death that discourages Paul. It's the bad behavior of Christians around him that he had taught and discipled and brought into the ministry with him. He writes to Timothy, Demas has deserted me because he loved this world. Demas. Demas was a trusted co-worker. Paul thought that he was a deep Christian. But he deserted Paul. Don't you hear the discouragement in that word deserted? What a heavy word that is. And then in verse 16 he says, At my defense no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Who's everyone? All the Christians... They deserted me, every one of them. Can't you just hear discouragement coming through this? And then he tells Timothy, Alexander hurt his work. Don't trust him. He did me great harm. 
Notice these are all Christians misbehaving. And he sits in Nero's dungeon thinking about all these believers doing the things that they had done. And he's discouraged and he feels lonely. So he writes to Timothy, bring Mark with you and do your best to come before winter. Why before winter? Because in the first century, ships didn't sail on the Mediterranean during the winter. The winds and the storms were so fierce that they would sink those ships. So ships stayed in port. There were no ships leaving during the winter. And he's saying to Timothy, don't mess around. Don't let anything slow you down. Come now before winter because if you wait, the ships won't be sailing. And you won't get here until the spring. And I'll be dead by spring. I need you now. Come before winter. Don't you hear the emotion in that? Come before winter. I need Christian friends now. I wonder if anybody here is a little discouraged. Anybody here been deserted by someone you thought was a friend, maybe even deserted by someone you'd given your heart to and loved very much. Anyone discouraged by the behavior of someone who's close to you just discourages you. You know, you can be lonely in a marriage. I know many people who are lonely in their marriage because they're married to someone who doesn't listen too well. Married to someone who's too busy to spend much time with them. They don't feel understood. They've not really connected with the other person, communicated their heart because they're not a good listener. Anybody here feel lonely this morning? Feel deserted? Feel discouraged? about the behavior of someone close to you? Well, I'd like to look at how Paul handles this situation. How does he handle that kind of discouraging behavior around him? Well, the first thing Paul does is say that he needs Christian friends who are not misbehaving, who are surrendered to the Word of God, in whom the Word of God dwells and they are surrendered to the Word of God because He needs Christians who can minister the Word of God to Him. Remember that Paul wrote half the New Testament. Remember that Paul prays powerfully. Remember that if anybody walked close to Jesus Christ, Paul did. In fact, he writes to Timothy... Jesus stood at my side and gave me strength. By my side, I experienced Him. He gave me strength. Jesus is not just some theological concept or idea. He walks with Jesus hand in hand. And when everybody else deserted Him, He experienced Jesus' strength by His side. Paul is saying, 
still come before winter. I have Jesus, but I need Jesus with skin on. I need deep Christians around me in whom Christ dwells. I need Jesus with skin on, Christian friends. Christian friends, by the way, who have not quenched the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's the same Paul who writes in Ephesians 4 to Christians. He warns them, don't quench the Spirit of God within you. And he's talking about how you handle your anger. Don't let the devil get a foot into your heart. And then he lists all these behaviors, the tongue and other forms of uh, bad behavior for Christians. He lists all those behaviors. And in the midst of it, he says, that'll quench the Holy Spirit. Rebellion always quenches the Holy Spirit. You can know the Bible, but do you live the Word of God? Are you surrendered to it or rebellious against it? Paul has experienced Christians around him misbehaving who know the Word of God because he's taught them, but they have not lived the Word of God. He wants Timothy and Mark, especially Mark, who are living the Word of God, who have not quenched the Holy Spirit, so they can minister to him in the Spirit. Moses needed Aaron. David needed Jonathan. Elijah needed Elijah. All the greats in the Bible needed deep Christian friends who were obedient to the Word and walking with the Lord. Weren't you impressed by Karen this morning? Age 34, diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. The triumphant joy that you witnessed here this morning... And where does it come from? Deep Christians in this church like Joel and Dina and Ann Bush and others. Deep Christians ministering the Spirit to her. A man called the dentist's office and asked how much to pull out a wisdom tooth. The dentist said $950. The man said, that's ridiculous money. Can't you do it cheaper? Dennis said, well, if I don't use anesthesia, I could knock the price down to $500. He said, that's still too much money to pay. What else could you do? Well, if I don't use anesthesia and I just take a pair of pliers and jerk it out, I'll only charge you $100. When's your next opening for an appointment? Tuesday at 2 o'clock. My wife's name's Jeannie. She'll be there too. <laughs> That man needs a good Christian friend <laughs> to speak the truth in love, that that's not how you love a woman. Somebody who knows him well and can challenge that kind of behavior and read to him, knows the Bible well enough to read to him Ephesians 5, where Paul teaches us to treasure our wives, Knows the Bible well enough to read through 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, and point out that it's all a string of verbs, and this is what you do, love is what you do, and what you just did is not very loving. He needs a Christian friend who will wake him up, who loves him enough to tell him the truth in love, so his marriage will get better, not worse. 
Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. All through the scriptures it talks about Christians exhorting one another, speaking the truth in one another, confronting one another if necessary, in order to save them the sorrow that this path is going to take them to. That man needs a Christian man who's deep to help him see the light. Got any Christian friends who love you enough to sometimes challenge you? You ever been challenged? Somebody who loves you will do that once in a while. They're not a critic. That's different. Not a critic. There's someone who loves you and sticks with you, but they sometimes will say, you know what you're doing is not right in God's eyes. You know that choice you're making? That's a bad choice in God's eyes. You know how you're behaving right now? Your kids are watching. Yeah, they're watching. That's a deep Christian friend. You got any Christian friends like that? Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. You know what he's saying there? We can do wrong so long, wrong looks right. It's true. That's why you need to be in worship. That's why you need the Bible study. The eyes to open up. But that's why you need a deep Christian friend who loves you enough to say, you know, that's not right in God's eyes. And it's going to lead to sorrow. Secondly, Paul teaches in this chapter the importance of choosing our friends wisely and carefully. Wisely and carefully. You see, Paul thought Demas was a solid Christian. That's the reason he brought him into the ministry. He first introduces Demas to us as a fellow worker. Paul doesn't bring somebody into the ministry unless he thinks he's a deep Christian. But Paul didn't look close enough into Demas' life. To see deep down underneath, Demas was not a guy who was going to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. Down deep, Demas lived for himself. Down deep, he had a flaw that was pretty serious, but Paul didn't see it until it was too late. You know, if he'd have looked a little bit closer, there probably were indications that this guy is not very sacrificial. And when it finally came down to it, there was this terror that was spreading terror, spreading across the Roman Empire. He loved the world more than he loved Christ, and he wasn't going to sacrifice much for Christ. Paul did not look close enough in who he chose and eventually it broke Paul's heart because the flaw showed up. And it's the same with Alexander the coppersmith. Remember in there, he says, Beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He did me great harm. The uh, great Bible commentary, John Stott, points out that the verb translated did me great harm literally means, get this, said many evil things against me. Or, you could translate it, informed others of evil things against me. 
The noun verb, the nominal form of this verb is informer or badmouther. It means a person who testifies before other people falsely, who says things that are not true. So the linguistic evidence here is, given the context that Paul has stood trial and now he's in prison, the linguistic evidence is Alexander was an, inf- an insider who testified falsely against him. Got him into trouble. He was an insider. This is why he had credibility before the Roman court. He was an insider. And so he had credibility in his testimony. But what he said was false. This is why he says to Timothy, he doesn't just state that Alexander did me much harm. He warns Timothy, be on your guard against him. What's he saying there? This guy is smooth. He'll get you to believe in him. He's good with his tongue. Watch out. He warns Timothy that the same thing is going to happen to you if you get fooled. Paul was teaching Timothy to choose his Christian friends carefully, not to be gullible. He's saying, I got fooled. I got fooled by Demas. I got fooled by Alexander. Learn from my mistakes. Because I'm going to be dead soon and you're going to carry on the church. That's what's happening in this chapter. Why is it that parents worry about who their children pal around with? All parents do. Because instinctively we, even if we don't know this verse in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. That's why we worry about who our children pal around with. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Look out. I came across this last week in my research, a study from Harvard University by Dr. David McClellan. He did a 25-year research project on several thousand people. For 25 years, he followed their life minutely. He followed their career, their marriages, How they turned out as people. And this is what he concluded. Let me quote it to you. We we become the combined average of the five people we hang around with most. Let me say that again. We become the combined average of the five people we hang around with most. We will have the combined average of their attitudes and behaviors and even of their income. Now, a lot of us have already proven that research. We wouldn't have to listen to Harvard to tell us that's true. We found that true in high school. We found it true if we went to college. We found it true in our 20s. We got messed up because of the people we hung around with. 
We become the combined average of the five people we spend the most time with. He says, you know, if you want a higher income and to be more successful in your work, start hanging around people who are more successful than you are. Everybody knows that's true. He says, if you want to become a better golfer, then play with better golfers. Because you'll pick up things from them. It'll improve your game. Everybody who plays sports knows that's true. On the other hand, he says, if your friends gossip and are judgmental, it's likely to become contagious to you. He says, our, our friendships infect us one way or another. He summed it all up. This Harvard research guy summed it all up this way. If you want to fly like an eagle, you can't hang around with turkeys pecking the dirt. <laughs> Lots of eagles behaving like turkeys because that's who they're hanging around with. May I encourage you to take a sober look at the five people you spend the most time with. Are they positive influences or negatively? You know, even Christians, not all Christians are walking with the Word of God. There are backslidden Christians. There are rebellious Christians. There are Christians in name only. They may go to a church. They may talk God talk. But they're not walking in the Spirit. Jesus says there's only one test for loving Him. He says three times in John 14, If you love me, you'll obey me. There's only one way to know if somebody's walking, holding hands with Jesus, walking in the Spirit. Are they surrendered to the Word of God? Obeying the Word of God? i got to tell you, a Christian who's rebellious against the Word of God, no matter what they say, is not holding hands with Jesus. Because you can't hold hands with Jesus when you're living in rebellion with Him. You cannot. That's the test of deep Christians. I want you to take a sober look at the five people, friendships, you spend the most time with. Are they deep Christians? Let me sum up all of this, the scriptures. It's almost impossible to hold hands with Jesus and walk with Him if your friends are not. Because your friends are contagious one way or another. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Both the Bible and Harvard research says you will become the average of the five people's behavior and attitudes you spend the most time with. So choose your friends carefully. Let me get real personal about marriage here. One of the saddest things I have seen over the years as a pastor is a wife who leads her husband into sin, into disobedience. I've seen marriages between Christians, churchgoers, when a strong-willed wife begins to dominate and lead that man spiritually. Instead of the man being the spiritual leader of the family, she becomes the spiritual leader 
of the family. And he follows her into sin. I've seen it again and again. Now the poster child for this kind of wife is Jezebel in the Old Testament. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jezebel. By the way, there's a reason why no one names their daughter Jezebel today. And the reason is this. She's the daughter of a pagan king of Sidon. Ahab is the king of God's country, Israel. But God's king marries this woman Jezebel and brings her into Israel. And what does she do? She brings all of her pagan idols with her and sets them up in the country. And he doesn't say no to her. He doesn't say no. She not only does that, but she brings in hundreds of priests to worship this idol Baal. He doesn't say no to her. She not only does that, but she starts to destroy the temples to God, the worship centers to God, the high places, and kill God's priests. He doesn't say no to her. And the reason he doesn't is Ahab does not stand up to her because Ahab is more concerned with pleasing his wife than he's pleasing God. Now this is a strong-willed woman. Later this year I want to do a series on Elijah. Elijah is a mighty prophet. He's a courageous guy. But when he stands up against Jezebel, he runs for the desert. She even scares Elijah. Ahab does not stand up to his wife and say no because he wants peace in the palace. And the only way he can have peace in his bedroom is to follow her and do what she wants to do. She's in control. Well, here's how the Bible sums up Ahab and Jezebel. It's 1 Kings 21, verse 25. There was no one like Ahab who did wickedness in the eyes of God because Jezebel, his wife, urged him on. Wow. It's a terrible thing. When a woman becomes so strong-willed that she urges her, her man into sin, leads him into spiritual decay. Did you get that? There was no one like Ahab who did wickedness in the eyes of God because Jezebel, his wife, urged him on. You see, Ahab wanted to buy peace at, even, at any price, even at the price of doing what was evil in God's eyes, and he knew it. Both Ahab and Jezebel were eventually disciplined by God. The sorrow that came to that family was because of a strong-willed woman who began to lead her, her man, her husband, down spiritually. Now, it works the other way, too. Lot is an example of a husband and a father leading his family to spiritual ruin, is he not? Lot leaves a godly, spiritual friend in Abraham, his uncle. And as soon as he leaves him, he leaves him for prosperity in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
He knows very well the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah as the center of evil in this world. But because of the payoff, monetarily, he takes his family and moves in. And it isn't very long before God says, get out of there because I'm going to destroy those cities because they're so wicked I don't want them to infect the rest of the world. I'm going to destroy them, run for it. But his wife is so inculcated with the evil has begun to love it so much she can't leave and she's destroyed with the cities and his two daughters have been so infected by being around the people in this city their five closest friends that they commit incest with their father that's Lot's responsibility if you're married I'm telling you it's crucial to choose deep Christian friends who are walking with the Lord. You will not rise above the spirituality of the five couples that you spend the most time with. And that's why I keep urging you, get in one of these Bible studies. Because you need to be around Christians who are in the Word and going deep. It's your destiny. Third, Paul teaches us to take action ourselves in order to have deep Christian friends. We have to take the initiative. Now Paul, he can't leave prison. He's chained. But he can send a letter and he can ask his deep Christian friends, come before winter. Come before winter. I need you. He's vulnerable enough to say, I need you. Friends, right now, please come before winter. Some of you have been coming to FPC for a year and you still haven't made any Christian friends here. Some of you have been coming four or five years and you haven't made any Christian friends. You got to take the initiative. Now, what happens is I hear people say, Well, I'm too busy. I love the idea that there's 300 women in that Bible study, but you know, I'm busy. Let me tell you something that is just crucial to come to terms with if you're going to go deep with the Lord. If you're going to go deep spiritually, you've got to start to manage your time for spiritual purposes. You've got to start to manage your time for spiritual purposes. Everybody's busy. I don't know anybody who says, you know, I don't have anything to do. Can you give me something to do? I don't I just have so much time on my I don't know anybody like that. Everybody says, I'm so busy. In fact, today in our culture, busy means you're important. Nobody would dare admit I'm not busy because that means I'm not very important. We're all busy. We got entertainment, things to go to, work. We're working two jobs. I mean, we got kids, sports. It's a choice. If you want to go deep spiritually and handle these issues like loneliness and discouragement, you got to make time. It's time to stop saying, I'm too busy. C.S. Lewis has a great insight here. Let me read it. It's from Screwtape Letters. This is what he says. The devil doesn't have to make a Christian bad. He only has to make him busy. Busyness is the devil's best trick. 
He doesn't have to lead you into some dire temptation. He just has to make you so busy, you're not around the Word of God. You hardly have time to come to church. You don't have time to go to a Bible study and make deep Christian friends. He's got you. You won't have any strength. So take time. Take action before winter comes this morning and go out into that lobby and sign up for an interest group and a Bible study before winter. Sometimes I hear of a man who wants his wife to spend all of his, her time with him. I hear of men who actually resent their wife going to a Bible study and spending time with Christian women. Now men... I know you're every woman's dream man. I know you're a stud. I know you're the greatest, most wonderful guy, and she's so lucky to have you. I know all that. But the bad news I have for you, you're still not enough. You're not enough, and you never will be enough. Because God never intended you to be enough. He intended women to need women and men to need men. Everybody here knows women are from Venus and men are from Mars. <laughs> women are weird. They're wonderful, but they're weird. <laughs> and we're so different. That's why a man can never be all a woman needs. So let me just tell you the obvious. Women love details. We're bottom line guys. This is what happens. Here's a typical conversation. Guy walks in the door. Honey, how'd your day go? Good. What'd you do? Nothing. He's done. <laughs> she wants to know everything. The agenda of every meeting you're in, what you fixed that day, what you had for vegetables for lunch. She wants to know everything. But guys don't like the detail. She needs women who talk details with her. She loves that. She's built that way. That's relational. Let me tell you another thing. Women have a capacity to speak 60,000 words a day. Some women, 110 to 125,000 words a day. Women don't know this about us, but they find out men only have a capacity for 20,000 words a day. At work, they speak 19,950 words. When they get home, they only got 50 words left. She's got another 100,000 words left, and she wants to talk with you, and you run out of words in five minutes and go sit in front of the TV. She needs women. You're not enough for her. The other thing is, men speak and listen at a rate of about 50 words a minute. Women average 175 words a minute, which means men only hear one-third of what women say. And women can gust up to 350 words a minute, and he's totally left behind in the dust. She needs women, and you need men. That's why you need to be in one of these groups, because women don't understand us, do they? Only men understand fully men. You need men who talk Mars talk. And that's why you need to be in a group with other men. So, 
go out there. Take the initiative to start to make deep Christian friends. Do it before winter. Spring may be too late. Pray with me. Lord, I pray for anybody who's discouraged this morning about the behavior of others or lonely. That the words preached today would ring around in their heart. And most of all, that all of us would begin to do whatever it takes to make deep Christian friends. Amen. That was such a relevant message from Dr. Mike. You can order a DVD copy from the website of Compass Church of Monterey County. If these messages are helping you, why not share them with friends and family? It's a great way to be a blessing to others. May God's blessing and favor be upon your life. <laughs>